Welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, where I interview the absolute best health and wellness practitioners from across the globe to show you what they do so that you can do it too. This is because, like you, I did not always feel that health was easy. I had tried different diets, countless exercise plans, but often felt misled by an industry that thrives on you not really getting healthy and always spending money on the next new thing. Because of this, I'm getting bare naked on health and pulling back the curtain to show you that being truly healthy is simple. Wherever you are in your health journey, I want to show you that with minimal effort, you can get maximum results and do what you love, play with your kids, go for a hike, and crush it in your business all while feeling great. To give you a kickstart, I encourage you to go over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to get the top 10 world-class nutrition tips from the experts that have been on the show, and you will see what simple health can be. Hey guys, I'm your host, Nick Horowski, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, episode number 69. In today's episode, I interview author of The Conscious Alcoholic, Jamie Sahara Lee. Be sure to stick around for the end of the show to learn where Jamie would go in a time machine, why you should get uncomfortable to learn, and a little bit more about getting quiet in nature. Alrighty, guys. On the line today, I have Jamie Sahara Lee uh, for another episode of the Bare Naked Health Podcast. Now, Jamie, first question I ask everybody who comes on the show is, tell us about your health journey in 10 sentences or less. <laughs> oh, that's a long health story. Uh, dancer and athlete my whole life. Got hit by a car. Um, found my way into alternative medicine as the... Uh, modern medicine kind of failed me, and I never looked back. I uh, discovered what diet could do for me, uh, what meditation, what yoga could do, and here I am. What maybe one or two of those things uh, was the most pivotal? What were the ones that, I mean, obviously getting hit by the car kind of shifted your life around okay. there, I imagine, but what really uh, shifted everything else going forward then uh, on that health journey, and what have been some of those biggest changes that you've made? Uh, I would say I, I was in a yoga training and we had an Ayurvedic teacher come in and she just totally rocked my world. Um, you know, you tell her your whole story, your life story and everything that's happened and she's analyzing you at that time. And she was like, all right, so I just want to let you know you're not crazy. <laughs> you're not bipolar. You're not manic depressive. Um, you're just, you're kind of allergic to wheat and gluten. And you've got severe adrenal fatigue. So let's avoid these 10 things and let's add these 10 things in and let's see what happens. And it was in an, under a week. Um, my husband at the time looked at me and was like, whoa, you're a different human being. Like you're so much more balanced. You're more pleasant. Just overall, everything, everything shifted for me. And that was like, ooh, okay, I've been in and out of the hospital with doctors for, at that point, I must have been 23, so for 11 years, and nobody could help me. They just kept feeding me pain pills, and in a week, my life had shifted more than it had in 11 years, and I was like, okay, 
<laughs> I'm picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> so what have you really taken away as far as the Ayurveda goes, either studying it for yourself, using it with others? What has really inspired you to uh, look into that more? Just I see how simple it can be. I was into Chinese medicine for a while and it was complicated. It was like cook these herbs and your house smells horrific and take these <laughs> herbs and like it tastes worse than it smells. And, you know, there's like 10 or 12 pills you're taking with every meal and it works great. But for me, it was, I was like, I, I just don't want to cart this much crap around. So Ayurveda was food based in a lot of ways. And I love food. So I was like, I can do this. This is easy. And I found that, you know, it's like they say like the quickest way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Like I think the quickest way to health is through our stomachs. It's easy for people. It's easy to say, all right, I need you to just avoid nightshades. Maybe not forever, but for a little while. And at the same time, don't put too much pressure on yourself about this. Like if you're out and there's, you know, that eggplant looks real good, I'm not going to tell you don't have it. And I'm not going to tell you to like then feel guilty if you do have it. I'm going to instead give you these tools to say, okay, great, you had some nightshades. So now we're going to add some, you know, cucumber or cilantro, something to cool off your system. Just so that when you do do those things, you can balance out at the same time. So talking about the balancing out here, what are... What are other things that you find in your life that you struggle to balance? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> uh, anything that's really resonating right now that you've been really kind of working on for yourself? Um, yeah, I think I'm in, the, I'm in the middle of writing this book. So it's like, it's beautiful. Like I'm in upstate New York right now and it's kind of been crappy weather, but it's getting gorgeous. And I find I, I lock myself in the house and I'll sit and I'll write and I'm doing videos at the same time and I'm working on recipes. And I, it's like, I get in here at nine or 10 in the morning. And the next thing I know, it's like eight o'clock at night and I'm, I'm having a hard time getting outside and yeah. <laughs> and, and that affects my sleep, you know, like I, I, I'm not sleeping as well. So I'm working on that right now. It's just trying to remind myself to get outside. And even if it's just like, take the dog out, like go lay down in the grass with the dog for 10 minutes. So yeah. if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit more about the book that you're writing, because I'm sure everybody wants to know what this is all about. <laughs> so it's called The Conscious Alcoholic. Um, and it title. is, yeah, well, I think alcohol is something that it means a thing. We do it. And there's a lot of judgment, I think, in the health world and in, you know, the spiritual world about, you know, well, if you're a true spiritual person, you don't drink and you don't smoke and you don't do any of this stuff. And I think that's a lot of hogwash. Um, you know, there have been Dalai Lamas that were chain smokers. So I, you know, I just am like, well, people are going to do it. And that goes back to you meet people where they are. And I thought, well, if people are going to do this, how can I make it more balancing for them? Or shall we say not more balancing, but less unbalancing? So this book was kind of born out of that idea that people are going to do what they're going to do, but what if we just did it a little more consciously? So the book 
gives a brief overview of Ayurveda. It helps people understand what constitution they might be. I used to talk a lot about intention and just understanding where you're at. Like, how do I feel? So you sit down and you're like, at dinner, well, how do I feel? Okay, well, I'm stressed out. I'm overworked. Well, you could look at that as being, well, there's fire in there because there's a, too much work going on. But then there's this... Um, too, too much movement happening, there's overwork, there's, a, there's excess of things. So you can go, well, that's wind. So if I have a lot of fire and wind right now, I don't want to drink something that has more fire and wind. So I don't want to go for rum because rum has a lot of fire. It's sugar, it's fire. Um, and I don't want to go wind, which is going to be like vodka or gin. So I should go for something that's more cooling, maybe a, a tequila or a whiskey because those are more grounding. And then I can add things to it to make it more cooling. So my mixer, then I start to think, well, what do I want to add? So that's kind of how that book was born and thinking, okay, well, how do I feel? And based on that, what do I want to drink? That's an amazing way that I've never <laughs> even thought about it before. From the standpoint of, I mean, uh, I, most people, uh, I, I feel like very rarely do you see somebody that needs more more of the fire. Uh, yeah. Especially if they're already going to be drinking. They're probably on that end of heart charge and just going, going, going. And the cooling aspect of it, I think, is a beautiful way to look at it. Yeah. A lot of times, yeah, people are going to just drink and just get going even more uh, yeah. rather than that balance. Oh, my goodness. And that people always wonder, well, why do why does this one alcohol make me angry? Why does this one alcohol hit me really high in the head? And it, I mean, the process of making alcohol, the distillation process, is in its own way heating and drying. So alcohol, I mean, it has that heady feel to it. So something as simple as like dropping an ice cube in your whiskey or in your tequila or just a splash of water. Um, that's going to disperse that headiness. And I hadn't really thought about the ice and the water situation until this past New Year's where somebody had some really beautiful bourbon and I was sitting there drinking bourbon all night and I drank a really good amount and I never got drunk. And I was like, what was different? Because normally I'd get like heady, that buzzy, heady feeling. And I was like, oh, you know what? I had an ice cube in my glass all night. I started thinking about that elementally and was like, okay, well, that's just adding water to it. That's going to be more earthy, more grounding to whiskey, which is already its uh, earth element because of the way it's made. So, you know, it's important for people to not just think about how they're feeling, but don't drink crap. <laughs> and do some research to make sure that you know you know how your stuff is made so you know like you look at whiskey you've got whiskey bourbon uh, scotch and then various degrees of all of those and then they're all made similarly but some have more peat in them and some use more fire and different uh, grains so educating yourself is going to help balance your body at the same time because you'll know what you're putting in it if you wouldn't mind giving me a little bit of an education on red wine, because for the most part, liquor, I just can't stand it. Beer, I really just don't like at all. Uh, red <laughs> wine, though, I enjoy a glass of red wine. Where is that falling on the spectrum? 
that's very hot and very dry. <laughs> but then again, I mean, when you look at wine, where is it made? So like a Napa Valley grape, are we talking, is it in the valley or is it up on a hillside? Uh, is it getting direct sunlight or is it a little more shaded? You know, look at a French wine. What is the climate there? The soil's a little bit more dense, a little more earthy. It's going to be more of a grounding wine. How young are the grapes when they're harvested? Uh, how long do they sit in the barrel? The longer they sit in the barrel, the more they're getting that earth element of the wood. And just understanding that winemaking process. So asking you, the wine that you like, go to that company and just call them up. Customer service, hey, can you tell me a little bit about how this is made? They'll give you that information. You can sit there and go, where's earth? Where's water? Where's fire? Where's wind? How dry is that climate? And so you can actually choose your wine. I mean, it's all going to be hot and dry, but you can choose a more earthy, mellow wine if what you're looking for is more earth and mellowness in your life. Or if you are a lot of earth element, you know, you can shift that by going towards a younger wine, a drier wine. Um, you can put a little like club soda in your wine, or you could do as the Spanish do and, and put a little uh, orange soda in your wine and make it a Tinto de Verano. So there's lots of different ways to, to shake it up. Sparkling red wine is delicious. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I appreciate this because this is, I, I think people overlook the aspect of food necessarily when it comes to drinking alcohol. It's thought of now, it's just an alcoholic beverage of whatever sort. Uh, the food element, yeah, I guess people think about it maybe when they think of grapes and wine. Uh, but beyond that, like any of the other ones that we discuss, any of the spirits really, those are just, that's all they are. It's just, uh, it's clear, yeah. it's brown, it's whatever. And not, not much of the thought, I don't think, has gone into it uh, beyond that. So thank you very much for sharing that with us. You're welcome. Do you have, or maybe uh, a favorite recipe uh, or just favorite drink that you really kind of resonate with? Oh, uh, for me, I'm, I'm a bourbon girl. So I really, I love a good old fashioned. Okay. Yeah. And there's a, there's a recipe in this book actually, um, because everything that I'm doing in the book is all natural. Mm -hmm. Um, so all the recipes that are going to be in there, I'm making a bunch of shrubs. I'm using, um, maple syrup as a simple syrup as a sweetener because it doesn't spike fire. So everything's really natural. So there's, you know, infused maple syrups and things like that. So it's like the most amazing old fashioned I've ever had. <laughs> that's, I, I, I really just think that's a beautiful way to think about food where, like you said, this is all oftentimes in the health sphere, just something that's taboo, if you will, yeah. or, Hey, maybe you can have a drink, but it should only be like once a year. And other than that, you can't have like, no, as you said, people are going to drink, people are going to smoke, but doing it in the most conscious uh, manner possible. Yeah. That's the way to do it. Yeah. I think that that's just the way we need to live life. <laughs> and you know, people want to put such a, you know, red wine's bad for you. All this stuff is bad for you. And it's like, well, I spent a lot of time living in Europe and, you don't see nearly the cancer rate in Europe that you see in the States. And like you go to France and it's like they're chain smoking, eating cheese and drinking wine. I mean, I was teaching cooking classes over there to vegetarians and they were like, yeah, so my diet consists of bread, pasta and cheese. <laughs> I was like, uh, uh, can, 
something green? Can we get some green in there? <laughs> well, you know, like some of my cheese is moldy. <laughs> that doesn't count. But they still have a better quality of life in a lot of ways. And it's, it's not just the food. It's the way they live. Um, there's no guilt behind it. It's not like I'm going to sneak these Doritos in the closet and then I'm going to feel guilty about it because the worst thing you put in your body is guilt. So, you know what? If you're going to do it, be clean about it. Own it. <laughs> so we're talking about maybe vices here of sorts. What is, what is one law that you think everybody should break? Oh, God. I hate laws. <laughs> <laughs> break them all. Okay, well, you only get to pick one here maybe. How about that? One law. Nudity. Nudity? Yeah. I mean, Europeans are not going to think anything of this. But In as far States. as Americans go, yeah. yeah. Like, everybody just needs to get naked and streak across a football field. <laughs> 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 we need to just get over this, like, issue with our bodies and, like, other people's bodies and breastfeeding in public. Like, we just need to get over it and accept our bodies and other people's bodies for the beautiful meat suits that they are you know i'm bigger than this this isn't me what is a way that you see that we can get around that just to try and open people up to not being afraid of our bodies whether they be clothed or not a guilt again i think we need to get rid of guilt we need to get rid of shame um we need to start teaching our children you know it starts it starts with our our wee ones you know we need to start teaching them about their bodies and not shaming them and the media needs to change and the way we talk about sex needs to change the way we're educated on it needs to change um you know there's this stuff in the schools now about the girls getting sent home because their shorts are too short or a bra strap is showing and it, what is that saying to our girls and what is that saying to our boys it's saying that all the burden lies on the women that as women we have to you know worry about everybody else instead of just us and I think that's that's really um misleading for people and for children so if we could shift the way we talk to our kids about body image and sex I think we could all grow as human beings so then what's something we could what's something that you could learn from your eight-year-old self oh my eight-year-old self was so she was like a honey badger a honey badger. <laughs> yeah, you know, have you ever seen that video, the honey badger don't give a shit? I have not. Oh no. my god, you got to YouTube that. It's amazing. It's like a National Geographic video that somebody has dubbed over. Okay. And it's like the honey badger, it just doesn't give a shit. It like it goes and attacks this cobra and this cobra bites it a few times and it passes out and then it gets back up and it's like I don't give a shit. I'm going to eat you now. <laughs> So I was a little honey badger. Like, I just didn't care. I was this kind of um, strange child who went out and talked to trees and made decoctions out of berries and leaves. And I got naked in the forest and ran around. And I laid in the forest. And I came home. And I didn't tell my parents, that obviously, like, <laughs> what did you do today? Oh, I went and got naked in the forest. <laughs> That's not what I told them, but I came home and I had the imprint of um, poison ivy, a leaf, on my stomach. <laughs> my mom was like, what the hell? So I think I would, if I could talk to my eight-year-old self, I think that's what she'd tell me is, is stop 
like throw off those inhibitions, stop worrying about what the world wants and all these things that society has taught you and rules that people have told you you have to follow and just like get naked and run around the woods and be with creatures. Yeah, go back to nature. What's your favorite part of nature? That could be either maybe then or now. I think it's just how quiet it is. It's and how quiet I become inside and how everything disappears. It's like this curiosity comes up and I'm just kind of like, ooh, what's that? Ooh, what's that? Ooh, a bird. Oh, a snake. You know, it's, it reminds me that there's something so much bigger than me and how unimportant I am. Like, there's just, I'm not that cool of a creature. Like, there are things out there with, like, all sorts of legs and that can fly and here I am on two legs trampsing about in the forest. So what animal best describes you? That's good. Or plant maybe if that's, if that's a better way to go about it. I don't know. Um, I feel like if I had to be an animal, maybe an elephant. I love elephants and I feel like they're shy, but they're big at the same, like you can't ignore an elephant. And I'm often told that I'm very outgoing and extroverted. And when I, what it feels like inside me is I'm a super introvert. And I'm kind of like, I just want to hang out in the corner and watch people. But if I have to, I'm going to blow through the center of this room and knock people out of my way. So maybe, yeah, maybe an elephant because they're, and I'm clumsy. <sighs> I'm so clumsy. All right. So I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts on this then. I, this is a few months ago. I listened to somebody on a podcast. I can't even remember what it was, but they were talking about like raising children. And were you told that you were clumsy a lot when you were younger? I think it was pointed out to me. Do you think that affects now your feeling clumsy and being clumsy? Or could you shift that now and just say, I'm not clumsy basically? Or uh, what's the opposite of clumsy? I'm trying to think. uh, Graceful. Graceful. Thank you. Uh, I'm very graceful and bring that into your life. No, because I mean, I don't ever think of myself normally as clumsy. I just happen to misjudge spatialness. Like, (laughs) it's just like, I didn't even see that table. I just plowed right into it. (laughs) So, and I fall upstairs a lot. But I think that's part of just my Vata nature. When I am very airy, when I go into that place... I don't see necessarily the world around me. I kind of lose that consciousness. I'm so in my head or I'm so like in the ethers thinking about things. And then it's like that door just came out of nowhere. <laughs> Be careful. That thing moves. <laughs> well, then being in your head so much, what is, what is it that you're most excited about right now? Every morning I get up and I go shovel cow shit from 8 to 10. And I... It's like painful to get up at 6 a.m., <laughs> but <laughs> when I walk through the door at nine or 10.30, you know, my mom looks at me and is like, you are just so happy. And it's true. I go there and I've never been so happy to shovel shit in my life. Uh, and I talk to the cows and I moo at the cows and they moo back and yeah. <laughs> my cousin said the same thing to me about two or three weeks ago when I was talking with her. Uh, I don't know. I think maybe it's... People need to just start going and doing that a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, it's a way of getting out into nature and and experiencing, again, like something so much bigger 
than I am. I mean, it, they're huge. Now, and is this a, like a farm that you live on or just near your house? It's a, it's a farm that's around the corner. They're a raw dairy farm. And uh, we've been getting raw cheese and raw dairy from them for years. And I usually like to go over whenever I'm in town here at my parents and stop in and say hi and, you know, scratch the cows. And this time I was just like, I'm going to be here for a few months. Do y'all need help? And they're like, yeah, if you want to come over every morning and help out with chores, go for it. So. All right. So you're talking about being in town in New York. Where is... Do you, is there a normal home for you, or you said you've been around Europe a lot, like traveled a lot then too? Where, where, where do you like to be at? Uh, I have a storage unit in Hawaii, wow. <laughs> and that's it. I mean, I've been traveling for two and a half years now, so um, this is going to be the longest. No, that's not true. I was in Bali for four months in one place. Mm-hmm. I was living in Bali for four months. Uh, so, you know, this two or three months in New York is going to be my longest time stationary. I don't know where I'm going to end up, but... Well, what, what island is the storage unit on? It's on Oahu. Oahu? Okay. Yeah. I've, but I'm, be, I'm being real called to the big island right now. Yeah? Let's see what happens. So it might be the next, uh, next jump? Yeah, and you know, like, you know, Pele, is the, she's the goddess of fire in the Hawaiian... Uh, mysticism and that's all on the big island that's where everything's being birthed and you know I think I was reading I think it's Kilauea that's been erupting and then so there's another one Mauna Loa I think is they're starting to expand and there's lots of stuff going on so I mean that island is birthing and I'm feeling like maybe I need some of that energy and just go and get earthy and and create and birth some things where have you not been that you really want to get to? I keep trying to get to South America. <laughs> Anywhere in particular? Well, I'm a tango dancer, so okay. um, Argentina. And one of my best friends is a musician in, um, in Buenos Aires. Mm-hmm. So I was supposed to be there now. And then I just kind of like really got going with the book and um, decided, okay, I'm going to stay put for a couple months and write this. So... Now, I don't know. I was like, well, I'll go in August or in September. And now I'm like, well, maybe I'll be in Hawaii. So I don't know. It's like every time I try to go, something comes up. You've talked about the yoga, the Ayurveda, a lot on food. I was also looking at some stuff and you've done some shamanic work as well, correct? Yes. Yeah. What does that look like for you? What do, is this a daily practice that you have? Is this a practice that you use with clients. Uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing that, please. It is a daily practice. I think all, all my work is a daily practice. Um, I sit down in the morning and I meditate and I work on whatever's coming up for me. So right now I'm doing a lot of work on uh, my second chakra, on my heart chakra, and on my third eye, just because I'm noticing there's blocks there. Um, yeah, so... Shamanic work always starts inside first. You have to do the work on yourself. So I do as much work on myself as I can, and that kind of extends outwards. And that's most of the work I've been doing uh, in the last few years is, is shamanic and clairvoyant work, working with clients and working outside of their physical body, you know, working with their, their soul and 
I, I used to call them soul-centered healings, and I've shifted it now to present life regression <laughs> because people are always doing past life regression, like, oh, if I can heal my past lives, I can heal this life. And I'm like, this life is much closer. And I found that when I'm working with clients, we almost always end up in their childhood. So it's like they have something going on in their life right now. You know, I'm not able to make money or you know, I keep dating the same type of person and the situation keeps happening over and over and over. It's like, it doesn't matter what it is. It always ends up like, okay, you're seven years old and this is what I'm seeing. So we, we, we follow that back and find places where energy got stuck where essentially somebody came in and said, you can't do that. And that's not true. <laughs> and that belief became a part of you. So now you have this belief that you don't even remember that says, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. And like I said, that's not true. So we go back and we, we look at that and we shift the energy around that event. And then we pull all that energy forward into present time, which is just really cool work. Um, I feel so honored to get to do that kind of work, especially when like a, a relative who's deceased comes through and I get to channel that. That's like, I usually cry because it's just so like profound to feel that moving through me and to get to be the vessel to, to offer that to somebody um, is so unbelievably gratifying and humbling. And I feel blessed to, to get that opportunity. How many lifetimes do you think we experience? As many as we need to. Any idea on what one you're on right now? <laughs> no idea. <laughs> no, no idea. Um, you know, a lot of times you'll look at somebody and you'll be like, oh, you, you're a young soul or you're an old soul. Um, and you can feel that difference in people when you work on them. Um, and I've been told I'm an old soul. And I do, definitely when I do go back and, and I'm doing shamanic work, I'm working with ancestry that's thousands and thousands of years old and that DNA that kind of comes through. So I've definitely been around for a while. Long enough to know better, as my grandmother would say. <laughs> so then if you were given a time machine, is there any uh, point in history that you would want to go back to or a point in the future even? I love swing music and vintage clothing. And I think the women of like the 50s were so gorgeous. Um, I, like, I like that time. I'd love to, you know, been in that show Mad Men. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, I also love like way back, you know, in ancient Greece and ancient Rome and the... I think I'd want to stay a woman and just go back and experience the, the way that they were revered as goddesses um, and, and find a little bit of that juiciness that the ladies back then had. I'd like some of the juiciness from a couple thousand years ago, um, and then I'd like some of the sass and the style of the 50s. <laughs> just put them all together. So then maybe we'll turn that into the 2010s, I guess, right? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> what is the biggest opposition that you find to health when you're working with people, whether that could be food, shamanic work, uh, in Ayurveda, whatever that might be? People don't want to do it. They want to talk about doing it. They want to dream about doing it. But when it comes to doing it, it's hard. 
it's hard to heal. It's hard to change. It's hard to look at yourself in the mirror and be really honest with all the bullshit that you spout and the lies that you live. That's hard. And most people get their foot halfway in the door and say, ooh, this is uncomfortable. <laughs> so that's, I wrote a whole blog about this, I don't know, in January, I think. Um, and, and people are just scared and it's hard and I don't blame them. There, I mean, that scene in The Matrix where the guy is, is you know, talking to the agent and he's like eating the steak and he's like, I don't want to remember anything. I know that this is not real. I know that this steak doesn't taste like steak, but I want to go back to believing it. And I think that's, that's something that I've definitely wished multiple times in my life. Because once you start this work, it's really hard to stop it. Once you, you know, you pulled back the veil and you see the wizard, then you're like, oh, snap. It's hard to go back, but it's really hard to move forward at the same time. It's hard to see your own demons. It's much easier when, you know, they were hidden. <laughs> Are there any demons or do you have any demons right now that you're trying to conquer or trying to take on uh, with your foot in the door there, but trying to still go through? Absolutely. It's a never ending, it's a never ending process. That's the thing. Like there's no goal line. You just keep doing this forever. It's a process. Um, yeah. I'm actually working right now with one of my, my deepest wounds. Um, and it's a matter of like every day just noticing when it comes up because it wants to run the life. It, you know, it wants to run the show and it will if I let it. So it's a matter of like when that such a deep wound comes up and terror comes up. And this is something that comes from past lives, but it also comes so much from this life. Um, the willingness to not hide and the willingness to say, no, that's not what I want anymore. I don't want to live that life. I don't want to, I don't want to dumb it down. I don't want to be numb. Um, and that's the challenge is that when you're not numb anymore, you feel everything. So you feel those really heavy, deep, painful canyons that you fall into. But you also feel these like huge high mountains. Um, life just gets more dynamic. But people that don't understand that will look, especially because I blog about a lot of this stuff. And I get emails from people that are like, are you okay? Like, do you need help? <laughs> and I'm like, what? didn't you, you only read the, the part of that, of that blog where I talked about, you know, being in so much pain or experiencing so much sorrow you didn't see when the full picture came forward and the beautiful flower that came out of that like things have to die for things to be born if none of us died this would be a very crowded planet you know all the flowers die at the end of the year and they create that uh, mulch that is going to feed the next year's flowers and that's not comfortable <laughs> so I think I'm like I said I'm dealing with one of my deepest things right now and that that's a that's a daily practice. So yeah. Talking about writing the blog as well, uh, I saw you just recently started YouTube channel as well. Yeah. What are you going to be sharing on there with everybody? Um, I'm going to be doing some little cooking classes. I'm going to be doing some guided meditations, 
some self-care. Um, I'm going to be doing some, some drink recipes. It's summertime. So, and, and the book's coming up. So I'm going to be talking about that stuff and how to make shrubs uh, that can go in alcohol. But so I was out to dinner with a friend the other night who's pregnant and um, I was getting ready to start a cleanse. And I was like, I don't want to drink. I don't want to drink in front of you because you know, I know you want a glass of wine. You can't have it. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw on the, on the uh, menu that they had shrubs. They had a raspberry shrub. And I was like, ooh. So I ordered that. And it was, I've never had a shrub outside of with a drink, with a cocktail. So it's delicious. So essentially what a shrub is is you take vinegar, you heat it up, and you put it in a canning jar over the top of fruit of your choice. And you let that sit from anywhere from two days to four months. And then you take that fruit out. The fruit will actually turn white. You take it out, and then you, you put usually like a, a simple syrup in it, but I use maple syrup. And you've got this, you've got your acid and you've got your sweet together. And you put a little soda water in that. Oh my God. <laughs> it was delicious. So I'm going to be teaching shrubs. And um, yeah, it's, it's something that's taken a long time to get going. Actually, our friend Chris, uh, he suggested it about the food because he was like, he stayed with me in Bali and he was like, you're just, you're always cooking or you're talking about food or you're eating food and talking about food and moving so much that I, I can't teach a lot of workshops anymore. Um, and I've had a lot of my students and clients, you know, ask for yoga classes or ask for guided meditations. So I was like, well, I'll throw that in there. And uh, it's really cool. I, it was like a world I hadn't even considered because I've always done things so much face-to-face. -face. Um, but now we've got this wonderful and painful at times internet. <laughs> It's, you know, it can be amazing to help connect us and educate us. And at the same time, it, you know, it's a great addiction. It is, it is certainly one of the double-edged swords of, uh, of the times. And it's always going to be something. Currently, yeah, it's the internet, but who knows what it's going to be next. I mean, virtual reality is right at our fingertips. That terrifies me. <laughs> now, talking about teaching cooking classes... Uh, and having trouble doing that, maybe if you're not within a 20 yeah. miles of somebody, hey, it doesn't really matter if you're teaching a virtual reality cooking class. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I would rather just teach the, do a video of it and have people join in and be, you know, get their hands on the herbs. For me, like, that's the thing that scares me about virtual reality is um, you miss that, the touch, the sensation of touch and experience experiencing that um, and your brain gets really tricked and they can do lots of things you know with the sense of smell um, but that sensation the sense of touch is something that I think we need more of in this world in general what book are you reading right now I just finished Elizabeth Elizabeth Gilbert's big magic um, and the other book I just started I'm one chapter in is uh, this one it's the Anastasia series. Uh, it's written by a Russian guy. And this is number four. It's called Co-Creation. And uh, it's about this mystic recluse in Siberia. And she chooses um, this kind of Russian businessman who's very unconscious and very closed off and doesn't, doesn't believe in anything except money and alcohol and women. 
and she kind of like kidnaps him for a little bit and um but then he keeps coming back because she has so much to share and she's able to channel um information from all over the world she's never been to school she's never left her little glade in Siberia but um she's so connected into the earth and into the universe that she can just pull information from everywhere and it's a true story they say and a lot of people have questioned if it's a true story and a lot of mediums um, and clairvoyants have gone in and they say they can find her and that she really does exist. So it's a great series of books. I usually can get through a book in about two days. <laughs> so if you were going to write a book that's not a cookbook, uh, what would it be about? Um, I actually am. <laughs> My mom's been pushing me to put all my poetry into a book. Um, so I'd probably do a poem book. Yeah. So when when can we expect to see that out? I don't know. When I get the balls to put it out. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's it, Right now it's tentatively named Suicidal Tendencies. And it's a tongue-in-cheek title because I only write poetry when I can't figure something out. And... Uh, a lot of my poetry has just been from my, my childhood and my adulthood, those moments when it's the most dark and I'm trying to like get that Rubik's cube to, you know, work. Um, so a lot of it is, it's again, it's like a dark comedy in that way of, of there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of sorrow here, but there's so much light just by looking at that pain and sorrow. So, um, Yeah. If I had to write a fiction book, it would probably be like a tragic comedy because I think that's what life is. It's a beautiful, beautiful mistake. <laughs> Why do you say it's a mistake? Because it's just a line of like kind of haphazard things strung together in life. It's a choose your own adventure book, really. You know, you're like, all right, I got this choice to make. I either go left or I go right. And like you change your life depending on if you go left or right. And that's so awesome. I guess mistake in the way that we use the term now might not be the best thing because then you look at it like it's wrong. And I don't look like look at it like it's wrong. But there's been a lot of times where I look back and I'm like, hmm, it'd be real interesting to see what would have happened if I had chosen the other direction. So, yeah. What story does your family love to tell about you? <laughs> What story does my family love to tell about me? Um, probably the one about when I was a kid and uh, we were down in New York City and my dad had a coworker that lived down there that had a boat. We went out on the Hudson, you know, around the um, George Washington Bridge and we were going to do some deep sea fishing. And <laughs> I was really concerned about sharks. And... <laughs> I was like, there's no sharks, right? And they were like, no, there's no sharks. So I'm like fishing and uh, I caught a shark. <laughs> <laughs> and I dropped the pole in the water and the guy like they on the boat was grabbing the pole. And I was so terrified. But all I remember of this is going back um, and see they were trying to like free this shark. I mean, it was a baby shark. It wasn't... You know, I didn't have jaws on, on the end of the line. <laughs> but I, re I remember going back and seeing the shark, and he had been flailing, and he had hit himself in the eye, and his eye was bleeding. 
And that's the only memory I have of it is seeing that shark and being like, oh my God, somebody help that shark. <laughs> I'm not going to do it because I'm terrified of it. But yeah, just this memory of the shark and this feeling of like, oh my God, poor baby shark. If you won't bite me, I'll hug you and kiss your eye and make it all better. <laughs> I guess that's that's one of the dangers of fishing the ocean. You always might, might get a shark coming out at you. Uh, yeah. Do you, what is your one non-negotiable health habit? Smoking cigarettes. Any reason? Um, I just find it gross. I don't like the smell. It gives me a headache. Um, I've always said I won't date anybody that smokes. It just... Yeah. When you say cigarette, do you mean a commercial cigarette or any type of tobacco then? Any type of tobacco. I mean, really anything in general. Smoking, it just, it doesn't smell good. It doesn't taste good. Yeah. So I guess you don't like, uh, with talking about all this food, any, any smoked foods of any sort? No, I love smokiness. Okay. Um, and I, you know, I burn sage and I go to pujas and... It's something about it being ingested by people, that smell that comes off of them, um, the breath, everything. It's just like, oh. What is a puja, by the way? <laughs> um, so it's a, it's a Hindu ritual where you're um, offering things to the gods and asking for, for blessings in return, essentially. So it, it's a conversation with God. What was the most it recent? It smells thing? amazing. <laughs> oh, okay. So what are they burning then? They burn ghee, uh, clarified butter. Really? Yeah. Um, uh, well, that's kind of the fire, the oil that they use. There's a lot of ghee that's burned, and it has a nice sweet smell to it. But then there's tons of flowers and offerings that are also um, burned at the same time. I mean, I love ghee. That's why I was curious when you said that's that's the kind of the thing that's going to be burning there. Yeah, I just made ghee last night. That's actually going to be my first video on the YouTube channel, Perfect. how to make ghee. <laughs> what's, the what's the name of the channel, just so everybody knows? Holistic Mojo. Holistic Mojo, there we go. I'll make sure to get a sh link in the show notes for everybody, but you can go check that out there then too. So being uh, into yoga, doing a lot of things like that, uh, just in the past, what does your current movement practice look like? Um, it's not as much as I would like right now. Uh, two, three, four years ago, I had, a, I was an aerial dancer and I had an accident. So I have some spinal damage I'm still working with right now. Um, and it comes and goes. So sometimes my, my practice, my yoga practice is nice and, uh, regular. Now it's not quite as regular, but every night I, um, before I go to bed, I sit down and I do at least 20 or 30 minutes of yin yoga, just real gentle, soft, long-held poses just to open everything up, um, especially because I'm sitting, writing, and that puts a lot of pressure on my spine and my sacrum, and my body's been not very happy. Um, well, it's funny. I, any, anybody that I talk to that's written a book, especially in like the health movement uh, type of thing, they all say it's the most unhealthy thing you could do for yourself, too. It's incredible, right? Yeah. I usually sit on a therapy ball. Like I've got one of the big balls I sit yeah. on because I bounce and roll and stretch out. Um, but I just shifted to that earlier this week because the chair was killing me. Uh, 
yeah. And like I said, I'm trying to get outside. Like I, I set an alarm. I, I get outside to, you know, just go hang out with the dog or take a walk, um, which can be really hard to do, just when your brain's like focused. Um, so, I'm curious your thoughts. I I've taken one or two yoga classes. I've looked. I've watched some videos and stuff like that. But because you brought up the yin yoga. I, anytime I've ever done a class, like, I feel like I'm almost finally settling into it and they're like, okay, time to move on. Like, what is that about? Do you, do you, do you really have an insight on that? It's like always this, I feel very rushed, but I want to just relax, fall into a stretch, a pose, a posture, whatever it might be. I find that yoga, um, and I wish I could remember the name of the book where they talk about this, um, essentially that, that yoga traditionally is not what we get in the West, um, that, that Iyengar and uh, Patabi Joyce essentially found a niche um, and started selling gymnastics to Westerners. <laughs> um, and that's kind of what we've gotten out of modern day yoga. And I think that it is, we've essentially taken a moving meditation and made it a workout. And that's something that I saw so much teaching yoga over the years. More actually and ironically in yoga studios than in gyms, um, I would get students that would complain after class and be like, it wasn't a hard enough class. Like we didn't do crunches, we, you know, and I, I didn't sweat hard enough. And I was like, that really wasn't the point. Um, whereas the gym classes seemed, people were just so happy to be there and to have that moment of quieting down. So I can't do Ashtanga and, and more intense classes like that. It's, it's not for me. It's, it takes me out of balance really fast. And there is Ayurvedic yoga out there. Uh, it doesn't go over very well because most people are type A and they want their hard classes, um, which just does nothing but increase their fire, increase their wind. When I teach, I teach, I teach a yang class as well as a yin class. My yang class, though, we're going to sit in that pose for a minute or more and I'm going to talk about all the different ways that you can shift and adjust your body. I'm a very audio teacher so I don't show things unless I have to. I go around and verbalize everything, verbal adjustments. I do hands-on adjustments um, and I've had students that if I was subbing a class or if they were new to my class actually get up and leave and nothing satisfied me more when almost all the time they'd come back and after that second class would come up to me and be like, I just want to apologize. I left your class on the first day because I didn't think it was a workout, but I couldn't sit the next day because I was so sore. And it's just a different way of working. It's like, let's get here and let's get uncomfortable because that's what we're going to learn. And we're going to see, you know, once we're here and we're breathing, how does my breath change? Where, where do I try to escape? Is it through my breath? Is it through my thoughts? Do I fidget? Am I suddenly concerned about my hair? All these things are escape hatches. And it's like, no, just sit there and notice. Notice how you're trying to escape. Try to align yourself with discomfort. Try to get in that place where you know that you're, you're healing your body and you're healing so many other aspects at the same time. And let's just breathe. <laughs> Because we're not doing that in life. The thought just popped into my head, and I'm curious. So we talk about uh, yoga. Um, I mean, just the, the that working in versus working out. 
are there any, do you know, shamanic techniques that are like movement-based practices like that? I'm sure there are. I mean, I think that's what yoga is. It's Indian shamanism. Um, just like guess, when you sorry, look at... I think of, when I think of shamanism, I, I automatically go back to Siberia and I think that's kind of what's in my head. So I should have clarified yeah. that even too. But I think even that, there are a lot of physical practices. There's traditional dance. You look at, you know, like American Indian. Yeah. And there's so much ceremony and dance around that. You go to Africa. I mean, shamanism doesn't just come out of Siberia. There's, you know, so many different types of shamanism. You go to South America, there's a whole dance set there. Africa's got its whole dance set. So um, I think there's movement in every... Honestly, I think movement in general is shamanism moving through people. I mean, you go to a static dance and it's just like a room full of crazy people, but they're feeling it. Like, you know, they got the Holy Spirit in them. <laughs> they're moving and they're shaking. And I, I really think that, that that whenever you can tap into or however you need to tap into it is a moving shamanism. Some people dance. Um, some people run. That's absolutely shamanism and moving and movement. Um, I think walking in nature, chopping wood. I guess that's my Western thought of, okay, it has to have structure to it in order for it to be <laughs> whatever. My, but but, there's, <laughs> like, but how many different the forms of is, dance? Yeah. The funny thing is that shamanism has no structure. Right. And that's like people come in and they're like, what can I expect in a session with you? And I'm like, we'll find out. Damn, if I know. Like, <laughs> I have so much stuff on my website because people need that. They need me to tell them all the possible outcomes. But really, I don't have any idea what's going to happen until I get in a session with somebody. It's like I don't run that session when I'm working on somebody. They run it. Their higher self runs it because I can't see anything that they're not ready to show me. It's the same thing when I'm doing Ayurveda and I get on someone's pulse to read it. I'm not going to be allowed to read anything that they're not ready to show me. So I don't know what's going to happen. I, it's like I want to look at a client and be like, what's going to happen? I don't know. You tell me. I'm just here to facilitate a conversation with you and yourself. That's all I'm here to do. I'm translating. So Jamie, in closing, a couple last questions here. One of the last things I always ask people is, who would you want to hear on this podcast? And what would you either want to ask them or hear them talk about? Hmm... I think I would love to hear um, some Native medicine people, you know, Native American or Native Hawaiian. Um, do you know? Yeah. Or do Do you know of any or any that come to mind for you? No, <laughs> I don't. Um, there is actually a woman that I'm reading her. It's um, I'm reading it throughout this year. Every full moon, I read it, and every moon for my body, I read it. Um, and her name is Jamie Sims, and I can I can get you the name of the book. It's down at the other end of the house. But um, yeah, I'll make sure I'll put that in the show notes so everybody could check that out then too. Yeah, she she's essentially writing about the thirteen grandmothers in Native American um, medicine and the, their gatekeepers. Um, and I just think we need more of that tossed out into the world at this point, you know, more getting connected with earth and, uh, learning to listen 
listen to the ground around us. Uh, I used to, I was, I lived in San Francisco for eight years and I would go down to Big Sur um, to Esalen and there was an Esalen tribe that originally lived there and they say that 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 tribe, the people could touch the earth and tell you where the closest deer was. And I know that we have the ability to do that. We've just lost it. We've, you know, we've stuffed it down. It's society, when we, when we stopped living in clans and we started living in cities and bigger towns, we lost that connection to, to the earth. And then we decided to make it a witch hunt to you know, the people that were still practicing that because it was weird and it was awkward. Um, and it was scary because we, we, we didn't know it anymore. Um, and now here we are, this huge global society, um, and we're just not connected to our animals. We're not connected to our plants. We're not connected to the dirt and the bugs. And they have so much to tell us, so much that we can learn if we just go outside and we listen. You know, those are creatures. They have spirits to them. Talk to your food. <laughs> It'll tell you something. So, Jamie, in closing, where where can everybody find more about you, what you're working on now, uh, the book, any upcoming workshops, anything that you have going on? Most of that stuff is on my website, which is holisticmojo.com. Um, like I said, there's a YouTube channel that's out now. Um, and theconsciousalcoholic.com will be up hopefully in the next month or so. Um, and there'll be a link to that from my website um, and it, it, as soon as it's live. And uh, if you go to my website, you sign up for my email list. And anytime a new blog or new video comes out, I'm going to be sending it out um, via email. And yeah, pretty much everything happens through my website. If you're on my email list, all that info comes out. Um, if you go to the YouTube, you can subscribe and YouTube will send new videos right to your email. Sounds great. Well, again, Jamie, thank you so much. Everybody, make sure to go check out Holistic Mojo, the new YouTube channel, and uh, make sure to keep an eye out for the Conscious Alcoholic book when it comes out as well. Hey, awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to head over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to get your top 10 world-class nutrition tips from the experts to help you simplify your health journey. While you're there, go to my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Also, if the show has helped you out in any way, please head over to iTunes to give the Bare Naked Health Podcast a positive comment and a five-star rating. This really goes a long way in getting the word out with how simple health can be and helping to share the podcast with others.